All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to today's Art of Hospitality, episode number 10, which is, I believe, a good luck number in some instances or some cultures. So I'm really excited today to have a guest. The guest will be chiming in here in a second, but let's get us going. Scott, how are you doing today? What's going on? And thoughts on episode 10, any 10 stories you can share with us that number mean anything to you? Oh, man, you didn't tell me this was coming. No, I don't have any good 10 stories. 13 is my lucky number. So so talk to me in, uh-huh. in, in three more and then we'll make All it right. happen. So put a pin in that. Yeah, so a great week. A lot of good things going on the tan side. We moved some, we moved a few mountains on the tan side here this week, and we're going to have a lot to share there. We've been working on a couple of things for six or nine months, somewhere in there, and a couple of them came through. And then on the Del Mar side, we were live and we're starting to pull some properties over. So it's been busy. Everyone's running around. And then we were on one of our morning calls. We have a daily leadership call with the leadership team every morning. And everyone said, oh my God, we're busy. And I said, yeah, think about it. Busy season hasn't even started yet. So mm-hmm. this is the new norm. <laughs> yeah. But it's good. This, and we say it every week, but this is my favorite time of the week. So I'm excited to get to work. Awesome. Adam, any 10 stories or maybe you have anything on that number or we're just excited uh, well, for here so, number 10? Uh, yeah, definitely excited to be here. But I will say that 10 has a slightly special spot in my heart just because it's a popular soccer number. You could run down a, a list of soccer players from Pele through Messi. So I'm constantly seeing 10 run around my house with my boys in their Messi jerseys. So I do number 10, but even more, I like the fact that we've crossed this milestone and we've actually made it through 10 episodes. That's saying something for sure. Yeah, they say actually a lot of podcasts don't even make it that far. A lot of them don't make it to 10 or 50 or 100 or whatever. So we'll leave those milestones, obviously, for the future. But we're excited here. We got number 10 today. And we have a guest. We're adding another guest into our discussion today, Steve Schaub. So Steve, I'll let you introduce yourself. But I can't imagine anyone paying attention. The industry doesn't know at least a little bit. However, you must answer one question. This is our tradition, and we're sticking by it. And we're looking to add to the playlist that has been amended and appended to, I guess I should say, over the past few guests that we've had. We've gone one or two episodes actually without a guest. So tell us a little bit about yourself, your background and things like that, Casago, obviously. But also tell us, what is a song that best describes you? Thank you for having me, first of all. And glad to be here, you guys. And being number 10 is a lucky number because I'm with you guys today. It's fantastic. Uh, I would tell you a song that sounds the best is probably U2, where the streets have no names. There's a lot of good meaning in there. It's a fantastic song and something that has carried with me through, through several years. As far as who I am, I'm Steve. I've been in the industry now for 22 years and started when I was 28 years old down in a little town called Puerto Penasco, Mexico. Had a, an encounter with a gentleman who was the husband of a property management company called Cindy's Beach Room Rentals. And through helping him out a few times and, and his passing, his wife offered me the business. And I had no idea what it was, how it worked, and I thought I was going to be a maintenance guy. And over the course of the past 22 years, I'm still thinking that I may be the maintenance guy. But so far, so good. We've grown to 45 cities in two different countries, and it's really led by the people on the ground, the local heroes who understand their own markets and own their own markets, and little by little, We're having controlled growth to build something that's more of a groundswell movement than necessarily a corporate overlay. Yeah, no, fantastic. And uh, I've had the opportunity to work with people that you have on the ground, if you will, in these different markets. We were talking about one before the recording started, and it's a great model. I think it makes a lot of sense. We've talked about it on previous episodes and things like that. So excited to dive more in and glad you're here with us today, Steve. Scott and Adam, we've talked about Casago a lot in previous episodes. If there was a game and it was like, take a shot every time you we heard Casago on previous episodes. Maybe some people would have made it through. So we can go in a million <laughs> directions, but maybe Adam, you could start with some thoughts on what's the higher level of what you start on today. And then how can we bring it back and have Steve bring us into some diff- specific questions that we may have for him? 
Yeah. So rather than getting into the particulars around vacation rentals as we start here, I'm hoping to start maybe a little bit more high level with you, Steve. I'd love to just touch on leadership and hospitality as the overarching themes. And maybe we start on the leadership side. And I know you've got an interesting background, Steve, not only in the vacation rental space, but also within the Rangers. And I'm curious, what what are your thoughts around leadership? How have you thought about leadership over time as you've made it through your path in life, but as you start to build Casago and you start to think about Casago from a larger perspective and building out the brand and having this national presence, how do you think about leadership and how do you think about leading teams, especially to your point, local heroes building national brands? How do you bring all of that together as a leader? It starts with clarity and uh, making sure that you're very clear and intentional about your own personal values and how those relate to your business values. And while there's overlap between those two values, which is fine, and they don't have to have the exact same values between your business and your personal life, because obviously there's different applications to it, there can never be conflict. And so whenever there's conflict between your personal values and your business values, you're going to inherently have an integrity issues because you can't live both. Getting crazy clear about those values and what the purpose of your job is and the purpose of the company and the mission that you're driving forward. And bringing that to your teams is the most kind thing you can do. Anytime there's confusion, confusion creates failure and clarity breeds success. So having clear expectations, clear values, building those into principles, which are just operationalized values, rules and decision-making process that honor your values are the way in which you're able to scale yourself beyond your physical ability to be there over, overwatching everything. That clarity of values, principles, and then constant communication of those and holding the standards is what drives leadership at the from the base level up to levels. Without that, you're always going to have a murky place to work in. And you're going to be a crummy boss. And let's be honest, great people don't work for crummy bosses very long, do they? Until you have great people working for you, which would be the reflection of how you're operating and building those leaders into leaders themselves, you'll never really be a true leader. How do you think that's an interesting concept on the clarity side of things? I, I, I think intuitively we understand that, right? Good leaders are very clear on the and we understand what they're asking and what the objectives are. But I hadn't really articulated that in my own mind. I think what made that clear for you? Who were you influenced by over the years to come to that conclusion that it really comes down to that clarity? And to take a step back and be clear for yourself before you can even try to establish clarity across the rest of your teams. Yeah, you know, that we, we I had some great leaders in the military. Andy Ulrich comes to mind, John Spizo, these leaders in Ranger Battalion, my old first sergeant from the old guard. These were fantastic human beings within my life as a young man who were incredibly clear about what the mission was, what the expectations were. They led to different degrees with emotional intelligence and the maturity of having a high emotional intelligence and towards the people they lead. However, that against always maintaining the standards and completing the mission was that mature leadership that started to happen throughout that. Those were the some of the few people that inspired me. Jeff Howard, my first sergeant, had a high EQ. While there was always the mission of getting the job done, and we had to have the standards and hold those accountable, he truly understood where the soldiers were coming from and getting there. But moreover, it came through having those experiences and then having to digest it myself. There was a time when the company was 120, 150 units, and it was getting away from me. And we were failing. We were having a struggle. And it was getting out of control. 
and all the tenants of what I was building the company on uh, were starting to be washed out because I couldn't speak into every single person every single day. And I wasn't there and I sat down and I was feeling pretty defeated and started to think about my past. Like, why did things work in the military or in, in a fraternity that I, I was a president of? wasn't working here. And it came to a common core, a common credo, a common set of values at the time. And so starting to write those down and through that 15 year, 18 year now journey of getting incredibly clear of who I am, what the company is, what the vision is, and then communicating that every single day and then making sure that communicating it that I'm personally practicing it because hypocrisy will be a very loud shout within the organization. And then what I'm permitting within the organization and driving those three principles every single day be, starts to grow the culture and starts to grow the, the voice that needs to be heard within the company and the clarity of who we are and what we do. Steve, what's your sense today of like how leadership is evolving in the vacation rental industry? We've talked in previous up Adam Scott and I about a lot of new people came in over the past few years and yeah. Some of them, it's a financial motivation. Some of them, they saw it as, hey, I can make a lot of money doing this. They maybe cut some corners along the way with regards to like operations, but let's put that aside for a second. What's your thoughts when you see a new operator and you were talking about them or looking at their business and how they've structured it? Do you think that someone new can be a good leader and do what you're describing at a high level? Or do you think it's something they have to have some time or how would you coach someone in that respect new to the industry specifically? I think leadership comes in a lot of different forms. And clarity of who they are is important. If you are coming into the air, into the market or into, excuse me, into the industry, and you're like, hey, I'm here to build up a large company. I'm going to make it worth several million. I want to get a high multiple on it. And I want to get out as quick as possible. I don't care about the community. I don't love the community. I'm using this community to grow my business. If, if I don't really care about my people, they can come along and make money. But I don't care what they do in their personal lives. That's not what I'm about. If that's who they are, just say it. And guess what? You're going to find people who will come right along with that ride. They're going to be right aligned with you. So leadership isn't always necessarily warm and fuzzy. It's what am I leading and what am I doing? And do I have integrity throughout my company that the people who I'm bringing along with me are aligned to what my goals and purpose are and how will I lead them and how will that benefit them? So there's a lot of different ways that don't always, the, us older people now that have been around for a while, it used to be very much a mom and pop industry. It was people who'd moved into some vacation rental markets, maybe as they got older or, and they needed something to do and they pick up 50 units or whatever. And they really loved on these communities. It was all about being part of the community. There was my early homeowners, when I was sitting down with this older couple and they're like, okay, look, we're going to sign up with you. We like you. You need to know a couple of things. My neighbor, Joe, over there, he's going to be watching you. He, the party's going on, wherever he's going to call me. See my neighbor there? Her name is Jane. Jane over there, she does not like noise at night. If I get calls from Jane at night, I'm calling you. And it was a matter of me being responsible to the community and the neighbors of whether or not I was going to be able to build a business. Sadly, the industry's changed a lot. For me, sadly, it may not be sad to other people, but for me, within that, the love of community, the love of the neighbors, the responsibility to be a good a good community member and protect the community is something that's dissipated over time. And I always say this, and I know that some people disagree with this. I really miss checking people in at the front desk. The door automated door locks, do they work? Yes. Are they part of the industry? Yes. Do they build efficiency? 100%. Are they great for, for responsibility of who's checking in and out? Fantastic. But the old times of checking somebody in, somebody shows up at the front desk and you meet them, 
and you shake their hands and you're like, hey, they go out, they got problems, they can call you. Or somebody goes to check in and and there's seven seven dudes all filling beer cans out in your parking lot and it's a two-bedroom condo. You're like, you're not checking in. Sorry, here's your money back. See you later. And I called homeowners like, hey, I'm just so you know that reservation, there's no way I was going to let them track your place. I miss those relationships. So the relationship circle has shrank a little bit. It's hard to have that deep, loving hospitality of your guests like we used to be able to do. But times change and the industry grows on. Yeah, yeah it, it's funny, Steve, and, and you just hit on it. And I've been screaming this. And I think where you and I hit it off is the hospitality side. So I am driven deep in service and hospitality. And you certainly are. I think you take the local community aspect of it, which I have I have not grabbed onto as much, but ultimately hospitality in my mind is job one. And I watch the big brands and I've called them kind of the online aggregators. That's what I've referred to them since the early days. And we've talked a lot about the super hosts and Adam has a particular rub with the super and how they've made it through the back end of this COVID boom without much work and really riding a wave that didn't exist for most of us. But I guess where I'll pick back is how I know my way of looking at hospitality and leading hospitality, but how do you take the actual hospitality, the service side of it? And how do you influence leadership on that side? What, the actual nuts and bolts. So you just talked about the check-in. What about the actual guest experience, right? Where do you take your leadership in driving that guest experience? Because I, you and me, I think, believe that if we handle that, the rest works itself out, really. Yeah. Yeah, I'm aligned with you on that. And I think when it comes from a leadership point of view, of how do you build hospitality? It starts with the people internally. It's your internal customers, right? Which is your staff. And so we have a, a saying inside of Casago, and I know you guys heard it in Costco University, is that we teach each other hospitality by how we treat each other. By, by building an internal hospitality culture within the company, you're teaching them how to treat your homeowners and guests. And it starts from there. So you can't expect somebody to be treated poorly and then turn around to come in being miserable with, with their job and they're being whipped into submission to make this happen. And you were two minutes late, you're getting docked, those sort of things that happen. The, what comes down to all of this at the end of the day is if you lead by example and leading your team by example is going to be the only way in which they're going to understand how to, how to be hospitable and they can't be what they don't see, right? Like, they can't be hospitable if they can't see hospitality. There's no way to build a framework around that. So our leadership is one to teach them through example and, and be clear what it is and then show them how it is. I think that's the leadership that we work on. Yeah, strongly agree. Yeah. Hey, Steve, you mentioned the idea that the industry has changed and, I disagree. and times are going to change and industries are going to evolve. But at the same time, to the point of Scott's point there that things have grown and there's been a big wave and there's been a lot of people who came in who didn't necessarily put in all of the work to get to where they are. Do we still have time to adjust the industry, not necessarily back to the old days, but to adjust it in a way that makes more sense and aligns better with the leadership and hospitality mentality that you have? Does Casago help do that? Or how do you think we bring back the pieces of the industry that really make us different and make us unique and make us meaningful to the homeowners and guests? Well, to that point, I'm not sure it's just the property management companies that have changed. I think it's also the, the guests who have changed, right? So their mm-hmm. expectations are a lot different. I was holding out with both hands trying to keep the front desk check-ins, and they were rejecting it, right? So yeah. we had to change with the times 
of that. The, the best way to change it or is to be a, a shining beacon of how it works that other people aspire to. So we have the hard work of turning wrenches, cleaning toilets, and loving on our homeowners, loving on our guests, and being the standard which other people measure themselves by. To lead them by being inspired, not by being, but not by being forced into it, is the way we get them there. There are people who have a very different value process on this, and I tend to believe that the there is a fight for the identity of our industry right now. And we're in the middle of it. It's a culture war in mm -hmm. which what is this industry going to look like? Are we going to be bad actors in our communities who have a bad reputation who need to be regulated? Or are we going to be responsible adults and cowboy up and, uh, and start regulating ourselves and start asking for regulations that look for the good, uh, for the good actors and, and disciplining, having a disciplined forward looking view on how we regulate ourselves. So I'll tell you, self-discipline is the best discipline. When somebody else comes to discipline you because you've been a bad kid, it's never as fun, right? And, and that's what's happened. I think that there's been massive missteps by the VRMA. They have let down the industry as a whole. I think that they are culpable for a lot of what's happening within the industry. There's been a massive lack of leadership on the industry level. And if we don't pick, it, pick up the mantle as the good actors of our industry and get a hold of this, we've got a real chance of having two black eyes everywhere we go when we tell people we're vacation rental property managers or short-term rental managers. That's where we're at today. What, what are some things in your mind, Steve, that would be impactful for a, an organization like that to implement or to initiate that would help? I'm curious. Started going down some of the right roads. Regulation matters. Uh, when people say there should be no regulation, that's just crazy. There has to be good regulation on this. And with the advent of Airbnb and VRBO and the proliferation of that and the massive increase of supply for these properties picking up, it's no longer alternative accommodations. We're a mainstay accommodations and we're encroaching into communities and there has to be regulation on it. And responsible regulation will benefit those who are good actors. And if you don't think there should be any regulation on us, then you're probably a bad actor. You probably don't belong here over time. And I know that's a harsh thing to say, but having the moral courage to differentiate who are the good actors, what are the bad actors, and what are those tenants that belong to both, and holding people accountable to include ourselves is that first step of getting clarity as leaders of an industry whose reputation is in peril right now within the entirety of our industry. Mm. I thought we'd switch gears a little bit. A company that leads their sort of industry, if you will. You had a something that I saw recently. You were, attended this Disney training. I think you posted a few pictures yeah. and things like that about the training. First of all, what's the program called? That wasn't clear to me. I'd love to know more about it. But oh. what was the experience that you took from that? I was It was an interesting sort of thing that we saw. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was the Disney Institute's service leader our service form and basically how to build your own customer service platforms, how Disney does it. There was a lot of classroom time, four days of classroom time, and then we'd go out into the parks and see how they do it. Fantastic theory, very high level. I learned a lot. I think that there was opportunities there to help grow Casago in how we do things and spread a lot of new knowledge and concepts. They have some obviously thought leadership going on within Disney that helps us, that they shared with us that I believe can be brought back to the vacation rental world. 
And yeah, just, I can't say enough good things about it. Yeah. I've always thought, I feel this way about Chick-fil-A. I don't know if you're a Chick-fil-A fan like I am, Steve, but it seems that a lot of companies have this training. Like I'm sure the training that when I was in high school, I went through a training similar at the grocery store of a, make sure you greet every customer within 10 feet, say hello or something like that. But then people didn't do it. Like that was what I observed. So it just, it was in a training video you watched on your second day, but it didn't actually, it wasn't actually practiced in the real world. So you just kind of, whatever you forgot about it. And I think Disney and Chick-fil-A are two companies at least that stand out to me. And they seem to get these people, even at the, I don't mean in a negative way, but like the lowest level or the maybe the most entry level position in their company to actually initiate their values or can't get someone to go past a Chick-fil-A and knock in the beside my pleasure. If you say thank you, they're going to say that even like yeah. someone who's their first day. Is there anything there that you took from that? Like how do they, in some respect, the person who's lowest on the totem pole in the company in terms of priority to care? That seems like the hard thing for me. It's like you were saying earlier, you can, at the top level, you can say, do these things and you can even do them yourself. But how do you actually get those people at the bottom to really have that same level of interest? Well, I think it comes down to what you went and, and what you promote, right? Culture yeah. is something that's adopted over time. And even within Kusago, we have Kusago University. Everybody goes to Kusago University. First day is culture and history. He gets into it. But if you watch every single day, it's not a poster on a wall. It's not some letters up somewhere, painted somewhere. Every single day we're getting on calls. We're talking about our, the tenants, the, the orange credo. We're having conversations about what does it mean? How do we interpret it? What happens? We hold people accountable to it. You get written up and counseled and coached if you're not meeting those standards and you're being promoted and rewarded and celebrated if you are honoring those values. So it's the everyday leadership that that brings those into place. And Disney shows us it's part of everything they do. It's in their vernacular. It's in their conversations. It's in how they, the human resources it's in. It's, it proliferates it as a whole. And I think where you get that to be, have a life of its own is through is through leadership constantly applying it to the points that people are in compliance when they first start out. But when they see it working, they start to have pride in what's going on and they start making those decisions on their own. They, the, their peer-to-peer group starts saying, hey, this isn't how we do it. And, oh, hey, we got to make sure it's like this because this is how we do it here. And what you end up with is you, they start seeing that it works and you go from compliance to people being convicted about it. They have conviction that this works. This makes their life better. This makes their job better. They take pride and purpose in what's going on here. And when you have that peer-to-peer interaction and leadership slowly backs away from it, that becomes a social norm. And what's another word for social norm? It's culture. You suddenly build a practical way to, to bring in a culture of how you do things, how people are treated, what are our standards here? And when you have peer-to-peer social pressure on doing it the way we do it here, you've suddenly created intentionally what you started out to do. And that's what Disney's done. That's what we hope to do at Casago. And that is what's being done at Casago. And But it's that everyday plays over the course of months and years that, that uh, builds that. It can't be something you say nicely and forget about. It's an every single day it's those basic plays. It's applying the principles in very practical ways over time with, that your team starts to get conviction about it. And that's at Disney just reinforced everything that I believed about the, about that process. It, it's funny. There, there's I've been doing a lot of reflection just on our side. And, and really what I've landed on is it's pride. It's a pride thing, right? I mean, it, to have a bunch of people proud of what they're doing every day and to be proud of something I think that makes all the difference, right? And that's certainly my history. And it's funny. And even as the groundswell comes, right, and, and things are moving better and faster and we're winning more, mm-hmm. that pride grows and it actually starts to expand itself, right? I mean, mm-hmm. 
we we enjoy it here and it, adam and i really enjoyed casago university we took a lot away from it I, I think adam and i were scratching notes like crazy on the culture day and we're like oh man we never looked at things this way so steve you and i think manage from details i don't think either of us are micromanagers i start with details and i want to know just details because I do, I think it starts there. I think you've got to, you get the details right and everything else follows. I'm also one that I can get distracted and I can go down a rabbit hole. So tell us the one or two things that you avoid paying attention to or pay little attention to as you plot the course forward. Oh, wow. That's a good question. Uh, we've only got so much bandwidth. And when we get to a place where it's no longer us doing it, having that teams of teams that operate. I think that building trust and dispersing power throughout the organization and allowing them to take those, those responsibilities and move forward is how you hand off your jobs. Looking for who's going to replace me is the only way that, that we get to promote ourselves, right? Because without replacing ourselves, you know, who's my replacement? Who's going to be promoted into this position so I can go do this? How quickly can I offer this for me? As soon as I've got to figure it out onto somebody else. Having faith in your people allows you not to worry so much about the details because of your belief of their competencies. Allowing them to fall off of curbs so they don't fall off the cliffs is a way that it's painful for us as leaders and even as parents, but letting them have small failures lets them learn how to lead themselves right and um and so not worrying about but making sure that you're not a perfectionist is probably the best way in order to run it and understand that at the end of the day there's lid theory right you're the lid of the company nobody can grow past you company because that's the top of the company the only way to allow other people to grow and become more and to have better lives is for you to figure out how to grow yourself and elevate the lid that you are higher so they can all come along with you as the leader. It's constant improvement of yourself and handing those things off. And when somebody's failing, it, it comes out pretty fast, uh, allowing that process, having faith in the process, I would tell you. So Steve, I got, you? I got to well, go ahead. I want to hear Scott. I want to hear Scott. So it's funny, Steve, you brought up something that, that I thought only I had been, I, one of my mentors way back, way back in my Delta days, Eddie Carrick, he always used to tell me, and I was just a guy loading bags on airplanes, and he always used to tell me, replace yourself. Have a replacement for yourself. And it ever, and you just keep on. Even today, as I sit here, I have a replacement for myself running all of the companies. It, so, Steve, I, that's actually where I push down to as well. And then, and I think you and I have talked about this. The other one is we operate here on the foxhole mentality, right, which kind of pulls it all together. Right. We do an exercise and we do it quarterly. And we'll just say we put out a quick chart to everyone here, all the leaders, and say, four people are in your foxhole. Who are they? And that starts to tell a story over and over because you start to see who people rely on. And ultimately, Adam and I, we just finished our foxhole for Q1 and it's all good. There's nothing that negative can come out of it. We've got a lady here, LaKendra, who is, I think I'm her right hand. I don't think she's my right hand. She's in 10 foxholes, right? There's 12 leaders on this team. She's in 10 of them, which you look at and go, that's exceptional, right? She's a rock star. But you actually look at it on the other side and say, but how many people are coming to her because they're bypassing who they actually should be going to? So is there a bigger story in that foxhole? And do we have to coordinate the teams a little bit better? But yeah, I'm spot on with you, Steve. Is I 
And it's been a struggle. And I think it's a struggle for most as you come up and as you make your way, there are times when you've got to let stuff go and say, I don't need to worry about that. And the reason I don't need to worry about that is I trust you to handle it. And I also know that if the smoke starts showing, you'll at least give me a quick tug and say, oh, I don't think this is good. And then we work through it together. But making a mistake I can tell you from the successes we've had in TAN, I just crossed over six years with TAN, or I think last week. And I can look back and say some of our biggest successes all started with us floundering at first and make, making a mistake and going, oh, damn, we went the wrong way on that one. But we always looked and said, wait a minute, but these two things in that five-step process work. So if we do those two things and fix these three, we're on it. And I'm can I can tell you, I could list them right now. Those things that we just corrected with, we didn't freak out that we messed up. We reached in, we corrected it. We still use most of them today. We'll still rely on some of them and say, oh yeah, well, remember the, the did you forget something? Let's put that one back out. And it gets a tried and true thing. So yeah, I'm in full alignment with you. I love that, Scott. And that goes to the failure product, the failure paradox, right? Yeah. So the failure product paradox is, when you fail and you have these, something's really gone wrong. And suddenly because of that failure, you grow out to becoming a better company for it, a better leader, a better person. You, your service is better. You People actually have see you with higher regard and better value because you've recovered from that failure. That paradox, that failure paradox is really what drives excellence. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. We were doing a traits thing a few months ago and adaptation was the second thing on my list for me personally, because especially doing what I do most of the time, marketing stuff, it's like everything, a lot of what you try fails. Like some things, I know Scott, you're more operational. So you hope things there don't fail as often. Like you hope the cleaners always show up and things like that. But in marketing, like it's almost encouraging a good thing to fail in some respect, but it's adaptation. So if you fail, no big deal, right? But like, how do you come and adapt and try it again? It's why we're all here today, right? Through adaptation, essentially. So that's a way that I have that That in, in my logic is I look for people who have that adaptation capability because I've learned over the years that a lot of people don't have that. They sort of fail and then they just sit down where they fell and go, guess it didn't work. And then they just stop. And I like the people who just will come back at it and say, it didn't, that door didn't work. Let me try this door. I think that's a better way to think about it. Resilience, resilience to to continue through failures is a huge part of leadership. Yeah, exactly. Go ahead, Adam. Adapt and overcome. I think that's what we used to say in the Marines. So yeah, (laughs) I think that's a huge part of leadership, but it's interesting. I think that this is probably the first episode or at least the best episode for sound bites. I can sit here and think about all of the sound bites that we just got. The failure paradox, the live theory, replace yourself. There's just a long list. I love the one about let them step off the curb so they don't step off the cliff. That's the way I parent. (laughs) That's the way I try to manage. So yeah, we're going to have to put out a list of sound bites. Um, But when I look back on my path in the industry, I've always tried to see what the next step is, see what the evolution is coming. And you mentioned something during the discussion here, Steve, about culture wars. And I hadn't thought about it that way up until now, but I think that is what is I'm sensing in my gut is that, yes, there is, there's this culture war that is, we're in the middle of it. It's been evolving for a number of years. Based on your history, right? 20 plus years in the industry, if you put out pull out the crystal ball and just, and just look ahead. Where do you see this progressing in the next two, five, 10 years? What is the culture where, how do we define it? And then how do we steer it and evolve in the direction that we want it to go? I think it's, uh, gosh, where does it go? Anybody's, it's anybody's guess. If we don't have leadership that gets a hold of this and starts to take it seriously and we don't have, we don't start to become grownups as an industry, it's going to turn into the vacation rental industry 
having the reputation of a pariah inside of communities and our opportunities to be respected members of those communities is going to be in question at every level. Uh, that's the worst that could, you know, where literally people just, we just don't want you guys here. And you're seeing it. And it's because of bad actors. That's one side. The other side is we have people who take this and take it seriously and get serious about advocacy, get serious about uh, responsible regulation. People who are doing good work like Tiffany Edwards and Rent Responsibly get a voice and traction. And we come around that. And we talk about being good neighbors and responsible to our communities and loving our communities instead of using our communities. And we grow a reputation intentionally that vacation rentals are welcome. They have a place and we have a future as part of the new shared economy. But it goes one of the two, di two directions. I don't think there's anything in between. Hmm. Do you get a sense for where we are in that right now? Do you feel like we're going towards the dark side or that we're headed towards the light? Oh, we're losing. Yeah, no, we're you losing right so? now. Yeah, okay. as an industry, yeah, we're when I was a when I was a young man in my twenties, one, people didn't know who we were. But when they did, they're like, oh, that's really nice. And all my neighbors were like, Don't screw around. My neighbors are watching. My neighbors don't make my neighbor call me. And with these investors that buy fifty properties in old town Scottsdale, turn a four bedroom into a bunkhouse that suits twenty and they don't care what happens to their neighbors because they've suddenly taken out all these ma massive mortgages and have Rinder to turn and uh, are using that community that they're hurting the entire industry. And we've allowed it. We've got to get in there and dig deep and make sure that our place in Aldi as a whole is, is secured and that we're proud when we hold our heads up high when we say we're a short-term rental property management company and we're here loving our communities. We're responsible to our communities. We're paying taxes for our communities and we give back to our communities. And our neighbors are proud that we're the ones managing the property instead of somebody else. When, and it, we, earlier I referred to them as the online aggregators, and I stand there. When you suck the people off the ground and you don't have anyone on the ground managing your business, managing your community, it, it doesn't matter, right? You, no one there yeah. cares, right? So the guests are going to do whatever the hell they want. There's no one there watching over it. And then when you call in you get to a call center and they're 800 miles away, that's, I think that domino has to fall. And Steve, you're driving that. We've got to get people back on the ground and back delivering service and hospitality. Outside of that, we're going to continue leaning in the wrong direction. You put people back on the ground, driving the business, doing hospitality, yeah. doing service. And I think it turns quicker than what we're all expecting. I think it turned. A hundred percent, Scott. It's totally recoverable. We just got to get to it. And everybody's got to understand this isn't a tech play. This is a service play. And if, and to your point, Scott, if somebody's on the ground, who's turning the wrenches to fix the toilets? Who's cleaning the blinds? Who's loving on these guests? And by the way, who's the advocate for the homeowners? You can't be an advocate for a homeowner in Ocean City, Maryland from Boise, Idaho. It just doesn't work. Somebody's got to be there loving on those homeowners. You have a relationship with those homeowners. It's a relationship business. And part of the job that we do that pays for that relationship is caring for those homeowners in ways which translate into benefiting them by just like being fantastic hosts, being, making sure their guests have amazing stays and, and speaking to those sort of things. Without that, you know, it's a service play. It's not a tech play. There are tech plays inside of it, but the true vacation rental, short-term rental property management is a service play that is deeply rooted in relationships and caring for homeowners whose assets you take care of and being the, providing the very best experiences for these guests who come in 
and making them feel loved on, secured, well cared for and safe. That's our job. And without that, what value do we have? I, I so just did, never, I think about the guest side a little bit, Steve, where it's, I don't think a guest has ever been like, man, that app was super slick and that's why I booked. They think about, they talk about the house, they talk about how well it's taken care of. They talk about, mm -hmm. oh, they gave me these recommendations or I had a problem. You, you said this earlier, I didn't say it at the time, but what you said just there made me think of it again, which is that I have clients where they have that after morning check-in text or something that occurs, hey, did everything go right last night? And I actually think that's the local property manager's time to shine if something does go wrong, because they can be over there and mm -hmm. fix the issue quickly. I think we talked about yeah. this briefly on a previous episode. But yeah, how are you going to do that from far away? The answer is that you call someone who's going to show up randomly, who doesn't really know that much. And it's not really much of a connection there. But if they show up in the truck and the t-shirt and it says Casago on it or whatever the case may be, they're going to go, oh, these guys are on top of it. And then yeah. a problem actually turns into a positive experience for the guest. In some cases, I've seen that with clients that I've worked with where they get a complaint and then they leave a five-star review after stay. And it mentions there was a problem, but they fixed it right away, which that almost makes them more loyal than if no problem had occurred at all, which is a strange sort of thing that makes no sense. But I've seen that in my experience. Adam, go ahead. How an organization recovers from a service failure drives the differentiation of the of your business. Service mm -hmm. failures are the biggest opportunity because they high, have the highest emotions to build a loyal fan base of guests of any other transaction you could possibly have. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. Adam, I think I cut you yeah. off. You had a question a second ago. Yeah. So I think to that point, every challenge has an opportunity. I posted that on LinkedIn this week and it, I think it was one of my most liked or most viewed posts in, in a very long time. I okay. think that resonates with people, but I want to double down on something to, as we get towards the end of this, because I think that there's an action item for the industry buried in, in everything that we've just talked about. And for anybody who loves this industry, for all of the professional managers that have put their blood, sweat, and tears in this for a very long time, my takeaway from everything that we just talked about is that in order to win this culture war, and I'm concerned about you, Steve, saying that the dark side is winning. That that hits me in the gut and says, what have we been doing for the last few years, for the last 30 years, for that matter, to allow the dark side to slip in so quickly and start to have such an upper hand on us? But I think the takeaway from my perspective, I'm curious about everyone else on the call here. I think we're aligned. But what I hear is that in order to take this back, in order for the good actors to win, it comes down to boots on the ground, operational efficiency, care about the homeowners, great guest experience. So it's not all of the other pieces that we tend to talk about with marketing and with operations and with revenue management. It comes down to a simple act. It's not about encouraging Verma to be bigger and louder necessarily. It's about acting every day with boots on the ground, with the right people doing the right things. At the end of the day, hospitality is nothing more than thoughtfulness. Thoughtfulness for about all the stakeholders involved from the community itself to our guests, to our homeowners, to our and our team. That's where the culture war starts. And then from there, we take it to the masses. And that's an easy one for us all to do every day is just wake, every, wake up every day and be thoughtful about our teams, thoughtful about our homeowners and thoughtful about our guests. If that's what it takes for professional managers to win, and I'm a believer that this industry is made up of, pick a number, 90% good actors, professional managers. I think we just need to be more vocal about how we are thoughtful and how we are trying to lead with hospitality every day. Yeah. So, sorry, Steve, I think it comes down down to this. And this, I'll reflect back to when I walked in the room with Steve, Ryan, and Katrina. It's one, I knew I was with the right people. And even right as we walk up, walked away and as we had dinner that night, and now as we come to this call, I think it's be the example, right? I think that's what Steve does every day. I see it in the university. I see it in the field operation at Casago. 
Adam, it's how you and I operate every single day, right? We be the example. And I think that's our responsibility. And I think, Steve, the community you've built, Adam, what we've done to put together the community that we're building. And as we all of these come through, I think the responsibility is on us to be the example, right? And to continue to pull people in and lead by example and just keep growing and growing. We can do this, but we've got to be the example. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think that's a phenomenal way for us to, I think we have to have Steve on again, right? As time allows, Steve, I know you're a busy man, but we'd love to have you on again. Certainly learn a lot from you. Yeah. Anything else, gentlemen, that you want to slide in here? Or Steve, is there anything else that we could plug? People should definitely check out Casago, but anything else you want to say? Any events coming up you'd like to talk about? Check out Casago. We have Keystone coming up with Matt Landau soon, which is a great thing to go to. Uh, if you're interested in being part of the community, Scott and Adam have become, and learning more, we're uh, casago.com forward slash franchise. So we'd love to talk to people about the community and how to uh, become fantastic property managers in beautiful places. Phenomenal. I think that's all we have for today's episode. If you guys want to say anything else, Adam, Scott, are we in good shape? I'm all good. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would just double down on, on what Steve just said there. We're happy to be a reference. We are big believers yeah. in community. We're big believers in what we're doing with Casago. So if anybody has any interest and wants to get a reference, we are more than happy to share our perspective on things. Awesome. Well, I think that's phenomenal. We'll put a button on this one. If you guys want to leave a review, that always helps us get this type of information in the earballs of more people out there, as opposed to maybe some other types of information that's available. So if you could leave us a review, we would greatly appreciate it. And we will definitely catch everybody on the next episode. Thanks so much, Steve, for joining. And uh, Scott and Adam and I will be back next week. Thanks so much.